need deliverance this morning. You need healing. You need strength. You need freedom. It's not on your shoulders this morning. Hallelujah. All I did was stay still. All I did was worship. Amen. And let God do His thing. Amen. I believe God's going to do His thing in this house this morning. All He's looking for us is just to worship Him, to lift up His name. Amen. God's going to do something great in this house today. Amen. Amen. I'm reading out of Zechariah chapter 3, and then I'll be reading out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 3, and I'll be reading in uh, verse number 1. Zechariah 3 and 1, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, Satan standing at his right hand to be his adversary. The Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Yea, the Lord hath chosen Jerusalem, rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now I want to read um, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 14. 2 Corinthians 2 and 14, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church said, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us spreads and makes evident everywhere the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ, which ascends to God, discernible both among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the latter one, an aroma from death to death, a fatal offensive odor, but to the other, an aroma from life to life, a vital fragrance, living and fresh. Amen. I want to preach uh, from this subject today, trophies of grace. Everybody say that, trophies of grace. Amen. We are trophies of grace today. Amen. And I want to talk about it for a little while. Let's just thank the Lord, amen, for his presence here. Lord, we thank you for being with us today, God. We thank you for your presence that we have felt, God, during this time of worship. Pray, Lord, that you would help me today, Lord, that your word would go forth with power and with anointing. Pray that you would bless your people and that lives would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. You know, in, in many ways, it, it doesn't seem fair. By the time each one of us shows up on the planet, a family story from our family of origin has unfolded that saddles us with many of the struggles that we will one day call our own. Cycles of, of sin have already been set in motion in our families and we are set up to become the next victims of sin. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 18 says that the consequences of sin from one generation are visited on the next generation. Think about your family for just a moment and some of the things that maybe your father or your mother struggle with or, or maybe your grandfather or great-grandfather. There are some things that kind of interweave their, their, their way into our lives. Before we're even old enough to understand it or, or make any choices, cycles of sin are activated within us. Cycles of verbal and physical abuse, cycles of lust and perversion, cycles of addiction, cycles of family dysfunction. Amen. And if it sounds like, uh, you know, a counselor's talking, I, I'm, a, I'm both a counselor and a preacher, so you might get some of that today. Amen. But, but, but these things uh, show up in our families. 
The scripture says it this way, we are born into sin and shapen in iniquity. We're, we're all broken people. We're all broken people. We're just broken in different places. Right? Amen. We all have issues. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, I have an issue. <laughs> Amen. They might agree with you. Amen. The patterns of sin of those who came before us are many times wrapped up like a gift and presented to us as our own. And many times we just fall in line without asking why, without trying to find out if there is a better way. We fall in line and we become the next generation of our family to perpetuate the cycle of brokenness and sin. There is a, a rule that many call the five-generation rule. And it's this, how, how a parent raises their child, the love that they give, the values that they teach, the emotional environment that they offer, the education they provide, influences not only their children, but the four generations to follow, either for good or evil. This morning, I am so thankful again for my grandfather, G.E. Chance, because I can look four generations down and see the blessings of God. Amen. It works both ways. And today, I'm thankful for a heritage of loving God and living for God. Amen. A good example of this five-generation rule is the legacies left by Jonathan Edwards and Max Jukes. They both lived out their stories in the 1700s. Jonathan Edwards was one of the most respected preachers of his day. He attended Yale at the age of 13 and later went on to become the president of Princeton College. He married his wife Sarah in 1727 and they were blessed with 11 children. Every night when Mr. Edwards was home, he would spend an hour conversing with his family and praying over his family and children. Jonathan and his wife Sarah passed on a great godly legacy to their 11 children. 150 years after his death, an American educator decided to try and trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards. And it was astounding what he found. Jonathan Edwards' legacy includes one U.S. vice president, that was Aaron Burr, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. Amen. He left a legacy that his family could be proud of. A good and godly legacy. Isn't that the kind of legacy that you want to live, leave for your children and their children today? Amen. If, you, if you're not there yet and it hasn't happened in your family, that's okay. Amen. What we're talking about today is God being able to start that legacy right now with you. Amen. You can be the first one in a long line of a beautiful legacy. Hallelujah. Then there is Max Jukes. He lived in the same time period of Jonathan Edwards. Max Jukes' legacy came to people's attention when the family trees of 42 different men in the New York prison system were traced back to him. He lived in New York about 
the same period as Edwards. And the Jukes family originally was studied by sociologist Richard Dugdale in 1877. And, and this is, as you might imagine, his descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts convicts, 310 paupers, and 440 who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. Of the 1,200 descendants that were studied, three of them died prematurely. This is the story of two men living at the same time, but producing two very different legacies for their families. Today, you have the opportunity to choose what kind of legacy you want to leave for the generations that are coming after you. I don't know about you, but I want to leave a legacy, amen, to be proud of. I want to leave a legacy of worshiping God. I want to leave a legacy of loving the truth that is found in the Word of God. I want to leave a legacy, amen, that my children... And their children can be proud of. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You say, but I didn't receive that kind of legacy. Well, that's okay. You don't have to continue down that same road. I want to show you the flip side of that. Although the sins of the father often produce consequences that reach down three or four generations, it does not have to be so. We can be the generation that stops the cycle of sin in our family. We can be the generation that stops the cycle of lust and perversion in our family. We can be the generation that stops the cycle of alcohol addiction, of family dysfunction. We can be the generation that stops the cycle of brokenness. Say, I was born into it. That's okay. You don't have to continue in it. You don't have to remain there. Just because a particular brokenness has been perpetuated in your family for generations does not mean that you have to pass it on to your children and grandchildren. You can live a better life than those who came before you. You have an opportunity this morning. In Ezekiel 18, God says, The word of the Lord came to me. What, what do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child. Both alike belong to me. So when you eat a grape, you pop it in your mouth and it tastes sour. And your kid is sitting next to you. Do they taste that same sour taste in their mouth? No, they don't. Not unless they take the grape and pop it in their own mouth. Right, And that's what the Lord says. I don't want to hear this proverb that you keep putting out there that the kids have to be just like their parents and that the sins of the parents are going to be forced down on the children. He said, I don't want to hear that anymore because the parents belong to me and the children belong to me. And whoever wants to live for me can live for me. And whoever wants to be full of my spirit can be full of my spirit. Whoever wants to worship me can worship me. Amen. The sins of the parents do not have to be passed down to their children. 
does it have to be passed down to the children? He continues on. Several verses down. And this is what he finally says. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. Amen. That means it's up to each individual what you want in your life today. Do you want the blessings of God or the judgments of God? Amen. I feel GE Spirit coming on me. Amen. Amen. Do you want the blessings of God or do you want the judgments of God? You get to make a choice today. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to lift up His name. As for me and my house, we're going to be in the house of God. Hallelujah. 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 You can be set free this morning. You can be delivered. You can be changed. I know it's easier said than done sometimes because living for God is an inward battle. Even when we want to do good, evil is right there with us. Amen. When we want to live right, we have all of this surrounding us that tells us that we can't do it. We have all of this sin weaving its way through our lives and through our families that tells us that we're not going to be any different. And there is this inward battle constantly, amen, struggling to do what we know is right. The Apostle Paul described it this way in Romans 7, For I delight in the law of God in the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity into the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I wonder if anybody feels this way today. I wonder if anybody's struggling in the house of God today to live like God wants you to live, to live like you know how you need to live. I have this deep desire to serve God. I know that God has called me to be more than I am. I want to walk with God. I want to talk with God. I I want to live like He wants me to live. And yet every time I try, evil is with me. My, My desire for God is overcome by my desire for the things of the world. My passion to break free from my past is overwhelmed by the sin that is working in me and I am torn. I'm torn between who God says that I am And the sinful impulses inside of me. Torn between who God says that I am and what my eyes tell me that I am. Torn between believing that God can do what He said He would do in my life and believing that I'll always be stuck in my past. It's this battle that keeps me from being what God wants me 
to be. This whisper of Satan in my ear that holds me back. That whisper that says you will always be this way. This is how it's always been in your family and you're not going to be any different. You're going to be a sinner just like they were. You're going to struggle with the same things he struggled with. You're going to fight the battles that she fought just like she did and you're not going to win. But today I've come to tell you the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. Amen. You can be set free today. Brings to mind our passage, our text this morning. Zechariah 3, Zechariah's vision, and Joshua the high priest stands before the angel of the Lord, and Satan is standing beside his right hand to resist him. The sense that we get in this passage is that God is the judge, Joshua is on trial, and Satan is the prosecuting attorney. Now, the backstory to this case is that when Zechariah had the vision, Israel was rebuilding their temple. Even though it was the will of God and what they wanted to do to fulfill God's will, they could not seem to get it done. Their work was thwarted from outside forces and it was thwarted from within and they were not making very much progress. There, there, there must have been a whole lot of questions that filled their mind. Is God really with us? Are we really the children of God? Can God really use us to do the work that He called us to do? Is God who He says He is? And are we who God says that we are? So with all the failures being evident and all the questions swirling, Zechariah had the vision. Joshua, the high priest, is standing in court. God is the judge. Satan is the prosecutor. Now if we look a little closer, the scripture tells us Joshua was clothed with, everybody say, filthy garments. Joshua stands in judgment. His guilt is evident. He's clothed with filthy garments. Perhaps they were clean at one time, but they have been, they have been soiled and neglected. Joshua is clearly guilty. Everybody say he's guilty. guilty. And the prosecuting attorney is making sure he, he, he puts every argument before the judge. He starts pulling out everything he can. Because he wants, he wants the judge to know how guilty Joshua is. Think about it for a minute. For once in eternity, Satan wasn't lying. <laughs> we know he's a liar, the father of all lies. The truth is not in him. But for once in eternity, he was telling the truth. He said, look, look, Lord, Joshua's guilty. Look at him. He's got old filthy garments. He hasn't done what he was supposed to do. He hasn't, he hasn't fulfilled the calling that you put on his life. Look at him. He's guilty. He's telling the truth. That's when we expect the gavel to come down and the judge to say, guilty as charged. But that's not what happens in this passage. When the prosecuting attorney makes his case and he has finished, God looks at Satan and says, I rebuke you, Satan, for this 
One reason only. It's not because any good to be found in Joshua. It's not because he's done anything to merit the favor of the judge. It's not because the prosecuting attorney has made poor arguments. Amen. It's not because of any of those things. He's not falsely accused. The one reason that the accuser is rebuked is this. God says, I rebuke you, Satan, because I have chosen him. I want somebody to get that because I have chosen him. I have chosen her. God has chosen you. Amen. God wants to rebuke the enemy today. Amen. For one reason and one reason only because he has chosen you. He's chosen you. Satan, he may be guilty. For once in your life, he may be telling the truth about him. He's clothed with filthy garments and he stands before me with no excuse. And yet I have chosen him. He is a brand plucked out of the fire. Can you see the imagery here? Joshua is compared to a, has anybody ever been around a campfire? You throw wood in the fire and it starts burning up. Once it starts burning, it gets to where it's that charcoal stage. There's not much more use for it other than to go ahead and burn it up. My father-in-law is a carpenter, and I've worked with him quite a bit in his shop. And I don't recall one time that we ever took burnt wood and tried to build something with it. I, I just don't. We always choose the best. We try to find the wood that's not warped. One time we built a table with warped wood and I had to sand on that table for about 10 hours. The point is you don't, you don't, you don't find the worst material that you can find to build something that you're trying to build. But, but God goes against the grain here. He says no. He says he's a brand plucked out of the fire and I pulled him out of the fire and I'm going to use him and I'm going to build something with him. I know that's not how it's usually done but that's what I'm going to do. I have chosen him. I have a feeling God's going to pull some brands out of the fire before we get finished today. You say, but life and sin has almost consumed me. I'm almost burned out and burned up. That's okay. God is reaching into the fire this morning. He said, I want to touch your life one more time. I want one more opportunity with you. I still see something beautiful that I could make out of your life. I still see something beautiful that I could do in the kingdom of God with you. Hear me, as we stand before the prosecuting attorney, we are guilty and we are filthy. We are guilty as charged. But when God slams the gavel down, all we're going to hear today is not guilty, not guilty. Not because of anything that we have done, but because Jesus Christ already paid the price at Calvary. He shed his blood for the remission of our sins. He gave himself so that we could have a fresh start. You may not be able to break free on your own today. But the good news is you don't have to. God already made a way. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Right? He took on our sin so that we could take on his righteousness. That's what God wants to do in this house today. I'm hurrying to a close. The Apostle Paul tells us and lets us see through his writings that we are not something that God looks at and says it's too broken to be fixed. It's too messed up to be used. No, we are not casualties of sin. We are trophies of grace. The Apostle Paul the one who was a Christian killer before he was converted, the one who fought against Christ before his miraculous conversion experience, the one who fought between good and evil, the one who was torn between the past that he had lived and the future that God wanted him to have, the, 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 the same Paul who had a thorn in the flesh, a flaw, a flaw that God wouldn't remove. That same Paul who felt trapped by his own sinfulness and weakness had this also to say. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us spreads and makes evident everywhere the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are, being, who are perishing. The Amplified Bible says it like this, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumph as trophies of Christ's victory. And through us spreads and makes evident the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. Hear me today as we close. We are trophies of Christ's victory. We are trophies of the grace of God. We have a whole lot of history that says we can't live for God. But we have a cross standing before us today that says we can. We have a whole lot of failures in our past that says we don't have much value left. But we have a Savior standing here today before us that says we are chosen in Him to show the world what a great God we have. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. the closing part of this message, I, I want to look a little closer at what Paul is saying. And I'm going to need a little help. If I can get maybe seven or eight young guys to come up here, I'm going to need a little help, just as an illustration. You don't have to stand right close to each other. Just come up here on the platform where everybody can see you. Don't be shy. Amen. Just need some help. Let me get three of you right here. Just, just make a line behind me. All right. And the rest of you, well, let's see. Yeah, we can get three. The rest of you, just, just stand off to the side here for a moment. I'll get to you guys in a minute. All right. 
Amen. One more over here. One more. All right. There we go. In this passage, Paul is alluding to the customary post-battle procession of a king, the Roman triumph. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. He's, he's alluding to the Roman triumph. The king would return home from battle with a joyful procession marked by fragrant clouds of incense. So you'd have, you'd have the people who won the battle. Now, I don't know who you guys cheer for. I'm going to guess maybe LSU or New Orleans Saints or somebody like that. ULM, I don't know. But I want you all to cheer for me like, like, like you just won the Super Bowl or like you just won a million dollars. I know everybody likes that. I want you all to cheer for me. Can you all do that? Woo! Woo! We won! We won the battle! We won the battle! Oh, yeah, he's good at it. All right. So they would come they would come home from battle and they would be cheering. They would be excited. Those who had won the victory. But over here we have the losers. Sorry, guys. Okay, y'all get a line here. Y'all get in line, get it, make you a line here. And just put your head down. See how ashamed they are. They lost the battle. They're a bunch of losers. talking about here is that when we come to God in our defeated state when His power His love, His grace and His mercy overcomes us and overcomes the sin in us our lives become the fragrance that lets everyone know that Christ is victorious and we become trophies of His grace so we have the, the victorious side over here. And they're cheering. Show me that cheer again. Yeah. All right. And we have these guys with their head down, these bunch of losers. But what, what Paul is saying is on that long journey, amen, in, in the battle procession, it's as if God looks back and he sees all of those that are on the losing side, that, that, are, that are in the procession of losers. They've been defeated. They couldn't get it together. They're sinners. Their, their families came, amen, from sin. And that's all they know is how to sin and how to live in sin. And it's been passed down from generation to generation and they're struggling and they're weak and they don't have an answer and God says it's okay guys I know that you're sinners and I know that you failed and I know that you messed up but I want to make you a part of my victory so come on come on over here and join this procession amen I want you to cheer amen now you're on the winning side amen now you're on the winning side You can stand with me. I'm done. I wonder if anybody wants to leave the procession of the losers this morning and join the winning side. I wonder if anybody wants to get out of the life you've been living and the things that have broken you and come on over to the victory side because God has made a way for you. Amen. You don't have to continue in sin. You're not a casualty of sin. 
You are a trophy. You're a trophy of God's grace. If you want to be a trophy of God's grace today. I want you to find a place and I want you to lift up your hands. I don't know what you're doing because of COVID, but you can lift your hands anywhere you're at in the building and I want you to begin to talk to God and I want you to say, God, I want you to pour out your spirit in my life. I want you to pour out your spirit in my family. God, I don't want to live the way I've been living. I don't want my family legacy to continue the way it's been going. God, I want a new life. I want a new way. I want my name to be written down in glory, Lord. I want to join the victory. I want to join the victory. I want to be a part of the victory that you have won, Lord. Lift your hands all over the building. I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to turn the service back to your person. Lord Jesus, I pray today for an outpouring of your spirit in every family in this church. God, that moms and dads would make decisions today that would affect their grandchildren and their grandchildren's grandchildren today, Lord. I pray that they would lift up their hands and seek your face. I pray that the anointing of the Holy Ghost would sweep through this room and give us the victory that we need in our lives. We don't have it on our own, but God, show us what you can do. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.